Welcome to the Calvary St. George's Sermon Podcast, proclaiming the historic faith of Christ and Him crucified. These podcasts are recorded and produced by the Parish of Calvary St. George's in the city of New York. For more information, head to calvarystgeorges.org. And once again, a warm welcome to all of you. Um, I hope that uh, none of you were um, had to deal with the, the blackout. Um, I was here in 1977. Raise your hand if you were here for the blackout in 1977. Look, a whole number of you. Wow. Um, I was reading this morning that somebody yesterday evening was quoted as being trapped in an elevator, but he'd just been to a Mexican restaurant, and so he said, the learning is that if you're trapped in an elevator in a blackout, always have a burrito. So, anyway, as I understand it, uh, people, nobody was really hurt badly, so thank the Lord for that. Well, this past uh, week, when I was reading the gospel for this morning, I said to myself, well, here we go again. We have heard this story so many times. I mean, for crying out loud, some of us, when we were in Sunday school, even acted it out, if you remember. I always wanted to be the robber, because then we got to beat up the traveler during the, the skit. But furthermore, you and I know exactly what this story is all about. It's the story of a mean Episcopal priest and a self-centered Levite. And the moral of the story is be a good person and help others, blah, blah, blah. But as this passage began to sink in a little deeper, I began to see this is not really a children's story at all. I began to see that this is not a simple bedtime tale with a pat little ethical injunction stuck on at the end. In fact, I think we ought to ban this story for anyone under the age of 21. Let's cut right to the chase and to the heart of the matter and understand that this story has to do with fear. This story has to do with being really afraid. This story has to do with actually being scared to death and what you and I do a lot of the time when we are caught by that fear. Now, there are two crucial details in this story, and the first one is the road that the traveler's on. This is not some New England two-lane road out in the country on a lovely summer day. This road goes from Jerusalem to Jericho. It drops almost 4,000 feet in 20 miles, and it ends up in the city of Jericho, the lowest city on the face of this earth, 1,000 feet below sea level. If you've ever been to the Badlands in South Dakota, the road from Jerusalem to Jericho goes through country like that. In the time of Jesus, this road had a name. It was called the Bloody Way. And it was called that because of the robbers and the outlaws who would attack travelers along the way. In fact, parts of this road still existed a hundred years ago, and travelers would have to pay safety money to the local sheiks in order to travel along it. So that's the first detail. The second detail are these characters in the story. First of all, there is this traveler, and may I simply say, he's an idiot. People always travel the bloody way in groups for safety. And this character is traveling alone. He's in a dangerous place, no cell phone, and he's got nobody to blame but himself. Now, the next two people are a priest 
and a Levite. And it's very important to understand that priests and Levites, in fact, are really good people. They've got high moral standards. They tithe all of their income. They go to the synagogue every day. They pray all the time. Let me tell you, the next time we have a capital funds drive here at Calvary St. George's, I hope we can load up this congregation with priests and Levites. Thought that was very funny. (laughs) Furthermore, these priests and Levites are subject to incredibly serious religious laws so that when they see a traveler, bloody, not moving on the road, it actually makes good sense for them to go by on the other side. Because when a priest and a Levite touches blood or a dead body, then he becomes unclean himself. And he cannot perform any of his religious duties unless he undergoes an incredible uh, process of purification. Furthermore, these priests and Levites are really streetwise. They know that robbers also often place a body on the road as bait so that when somebody stops the help, they rush out to attack the helper. So these two men are not awful. They're not callous. They're not even particularly self-centered. They are just normal, responsible citizens, and they are acting in a sane and rational manner. The person in this story who is not acting in a sane or rational manner, the person in this story who is not normal, who is not a responsible citizen, is this Samaritan. Do you remember the photos of French women at the end of World War II, women who had slept with Nazis during the war, and when the war was over, the French citizens would capture them and shave their heads and parade them through the streets so that people could look at them and jeer them? That's the way in which the Hebrew people felt about and treated the Samaritans. Samaritans are outcasts. Samaritans worship alien gods. They are unclean. They are the butt of Hebrew ethnic jokes. Now, the normal tactic on a sermon of this story, about this story at this point, is to invite you and me to identify with the priest and with the Levite and to be told that we ought to become better people and not pass by on the other side, especially given all of the pain out in the world today. If I said that, then you ought to chastise me, although wait till the end of the service, because I would only be offering you shoulds and oughts and musts, and those three words are descriptions of the law. And the law always describes exactly the way God wants it. And the law never gives the power to behave in the way it describes. So if I were to do that to you, all I would do would be increase your guilt. Now it is true that like the priest and the Levite, you and I have learned to tend to be careful about how much we love. Because you and I have learned, I'll bet there's not one single exception in this church this morning. You and I have learned at some point along the way that you can get really hurt when you open your heart up to loving somebody. 
But in fact, most of us here this morning really have tried to care and to open our hearts to love during our lives. Most of us have really tried to be vulnerable. And as we have tried, no exceptions here, I don't think, at one point or another, we've been hurt. Sometimes, sometimes terribly hurt. Sometimes hurt unto death. And that is why the one you and I are most invited to identify with in this story is the traveler. The clearest picture of the human condition is of you and me at some point or another in our lives as casualties lying in the road on the bloody way. Now please note that I am not here using the word victim. This is not a biblical passage that glorifies victimhood. But it is a passage that allows you and me to confess out loud what we know inside. That a bruised heart and a broken spirit are part and parcel of being human. And if the Christian faith cannot speak to you and me on the road with a bruised heart and a broken spirit, then the rest of Christianity just doesn't matter. So here is the point to which I've been leading. It is as you and I identify with the traveler that we are truly enabled to be encountered by the grace and the love of the living God. I just want to say that one more time because it's the heart of this sermon. It is as you and I identify with the traveler that we are truly enabled to be encountered by the grace and the love of the living God. And that is because the good Samaritan, the unclean, but of the ethnic jokes Samaritan, is Jesus. Just as with the Samaritan, Jesus was despised and rejected along the way. Just as with the Samaritan, Jesus learned and knew that caring causes hurt. And just as with the Samaritan, Jesus traveled the bloodiest way of all. And as this Samaritan cared for the traveler, so does Jesus stop by the side of Park Avenue and 21st Street this morning for you and for me, even in this service, to pick us up with whatever hurts we brought into this church this morning and to bind us up, to bind our wounds, and to carry us to an inn. That is what the cross is all about. That's part one of this two-part sermon, that you and I may be encountered by the grace and love of the living God most fully as we experience ourselves as broken and even bloody and crying for help, maybe even this morning. Part two, part two of this two-part sermon is just one sentence. It is only as you and I know ourselves as the traveler and experience the tender mercy of being met by Jesus the Samaritan that we may even begin to be given the freedom to not pass by on the other side for others.
That's why I want to close this sermon by simply describing to you one little picture of what that freedom is actually like. And this is uh, actually a, a true story. It's a story about a city in which there was a basketball league for young kids. And one of the rules in this league was that every player on every team had to play at least once in every game. And at the end of the season, two undefeated teams were playing each other. And the stands were packed, and any thought of not stressing competition had just gone completely out the window. The people in the stands cheered for one team one moment, the other team the next. The coaches uh, were yelling at the referees, uh, and the score was tied in the middle of the game. In the second half, the action got even hotter. One team would make a basket, the players would charge down the court, Another team would make a basket. The score went back and forth. The players got tired. Some elbows started to be thrown underneath the basket. And then, with 30 seconds to go and the score tied, one team called a timeout. And during the timeout, there was a substitution. One of the teams had a boy with cerebral palsy. His legs didn't work very well couldn't really run. In fact, sometimes it was hard for him just to keep his balance and to walk. His name was George, and he had not been in the game. And so with 30 seconds to go, the coach had to put him in. And when the people in the stands saw the substitution, one guy yelled, oh no. Somebody else yelled, well, there goes the game. And at that moment, George was a powerful picture of the traveler on the bloody way. Wounded by cerebral palsy, wounded by the cries of the people in the stands. So the whistle blew, and the ball was in play, and the clock counted, counted down from 30 seconds. And then, in one of those improbable moments, in one of those impossible circumstances, George found himself underneath the basket with the basketball in his hands. And he stumbled, and he caught himself, and he shot the basket. And the ball went up toward the basket. It bounced off the backboard. It missed the basket, and a player on the other team grabbed the ball. And the fans went wild, and the players charged down the court, and the boy with the ball started to move. And then he stopped, and he turned to George, and he tossed the ball to George, and he said with a smile, take another shot. And the ball went up, and the ball went in, and George had won the game. And years later, that player on the other team, that good Samaritan, that figure of Jesus, that one who did not pass George by, called that day the best day of his life. So my sister and brother travelers on the bloody way, may we know that Jesus does not pass us by on Park Avenue and 21st Street this morning. And may we also know that terrible, frightening, joyful privilege 
of not passing by others as well. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to our sermon podcast, produced and recorded at the Parish of Calvary St. George's in the city of New York. If you feel led to support the continuing ministry of the parish, you can make an online donation at calvarystgeorges.org slash giving. Thank you.